Hello, and welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where we discuss entertainment news and review movies, trailers, and TV shows. In today's episode, we will be sharing our thoughts on the long-awaited Marvel movie Spider-Man No Way Home. My name is Emmett, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and TaskRabbit's number one rated Roku jailbreaker, Ivan. so far <laughs> i mean yeah i i've seen the reviews it seems like you always leave happy customers yeah you know what i i, I managed to kind of get myself into the game after trying to jailbreak some fire sticks it didn't go so well but you know what you know you try and do do you do the best you can and all of a sudden you're number one on task rabbit it's something you got to be careful with though because uh like bezos will come after you ah he's too busy Going to space. Going to space. <laughs> yeah. Trying to find those alien symbiotes to bring back there. <laughs> <laughs> so we are uh we're pretty late in terms of uh you know getting a review of this out here, but uh with the holidays coming going on and wanting to see this multiple times, we thought, you know what, let's just put it off a little bit, let all uh, let everyone else discuss it first, and then we'll follow up with uh with what we've got. We, we've let it marinate for a while now, so I think which, I think which is ready. more important than being faster. Because honestly, you walk out of the movie and you're like, best thing I've ever seen. You got to let the recency bias go just a little bit before you declare that. That's true. I would fully 100% agree if it weren't for the fact that I've seen it multiple times. <laughs> well, no, now <laughs> it's fair to say like now you can actually say like I do actually like that versus. As soon as you're walking out of the theater, obviously you love it the best. Yeah, I, yeah, we'll get into our thoughts on, on the movie. I feel like I, I've, I've really, um, this is one of those movies that I feel like I needed to experience multiple times before I could actually like bring myself back down to earth and be like, all right, now I can assess what I really think. Right, right, right. So uh, before we do general spoiler free thoughts, uh, maybe just run through the stats on the movies now that we have uh Enough time has gone by where we can actually see where it's landing. Yes. So, you know, I, and I don't think anybody's really surprised about this, but we're recording this last week of December here. We have officially uh, have our first movie post pandemic that has crossed the billion dollar mark. Amazing. It's huge. And I, I've, you know, I've seen some people kind of undercutting it a little bit, being like, oh, well, it probably could have done better, you know, in the pre-pandemic world. Sure. But like, it's impressive to pull these numbers. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know if it could have. I mean, theaters are were packed like they were not adhering to like a six feet distance, like keep seats in between groups or something like that. Like my theater, at least, was packed. And I was like out in the suburbs. Yeah, no, I it's it was it was quite an insane thing to even find tickets opening week here in New York. Uh or let me rephrase that. It was insane to find 
tickets in a row that was not the very front row where you have to bend your neck all <laughs> yeah, the way yeah. back. You know, so which would have been worth it for this movie too. Like if that's all you could get, I would have taken that. Yeah, no, for for real. I and I've I've seen this movie in every screen at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the normal viewing. I've seen the IMAX screener. I've seen RPX. I've seen what was the fourth one? 3D. No, no, I've stayed away from 3D. Um, oh, but you haven't seen everything. I guess I haven't. Yeah, there we go. The hyperbole. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, opening weekend, um, it actually brought in $260 million domestically. That's which... insane, because we were guessing like 250 on the high side, and then we kind of wavered and we're like, oh, it's definitely going to be over 200 But wow, that 260 Did you see Domestic. those projections? No. Where, where, where do they think it's going to land? So it was all over the place, but like just, just for context... I believe it was Venom 2 that had the highest opening uh, weekend post-pandemic um, up to this point. And I think it was around $90 million or so. That was the number to beat. And this blew it out of the water with 260. But the projections, um, Sony and Disney had both uh, projected that the movie was going to make about $140, $120 million opening wow. weekend. Um, so very conservative, I guess, given the... Uh, ultimate stats here but just to you know to cue the audience in on, on, on something um 260 million dollars that makes it the second largest opening weekend domestically of all time so that's that's all time like that's not you know counting like a pandemic record or anything like that, that that's huge geez what was first by the way um i think we all know who it, is. <laughs> it was uh avengers endgame which yeah, I, always surprised me because i thought infinity war was bigger no, so they, I believe Infinity War was about $254 million opening, uh, which was for some time the record holder. Right. Um, and that was actually Avengers Endgame at number one, then Infinity War at number two. But now No Way Home has crossed Infinity War, placing it, sandwiching itself, basically, between those two Avengers films. So, yeah, uh, that kind of proves it then that, like, I don't know if this would have done that much better outside of a pandemic, because endgame was so i feel like maybe it ekes out like another like 10 20 million at most which is still a lot yes but it's not like we're talking like oh this could have been 300 well there there might be some there might be a case to present there right because one of the things that I, and i was reading this up um on uh, i believe it was deadline that was uh brought out this article opening weekend that uh you know there's a number of different states that we're limiting the theater capacity. Um, and so the same number of showings or screens that played Infinity War was not was uh, far more than the screens that played No Way Home. So I think there could have been, like you said, but I, I do feel like it probably wouldn't have been too much bigger. Like, I, I highly doubt it would have actually taken Endgame's record there because I think the record for that was like 354 million or so. But then you need to like factor in like the psychology of it where it's like we've been kind of two years without a major blockbuster. So like obviously this is going to get like the attention that Endgame got. Now I'm not saying it would have gotten less if we had like blockbusters every couple months for the past two years. But I think the appeal would have been like I, I don't need to go opening weekend. True. And I, I think it probably would have had the same edge or, or drive, you know, driving edge as Endgame. If if the public had been shared the extensive details of what's included in this movie, 
Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I feel like they kind of kept it hard to believe here, but as low key as they could in the advertising campaign there. Like if they would have promoted a little bit more about the movie, I feel like people would have maybe built up the hype um, a little bit more and maybe justified a, f- a few, you know, tens of millions of dollars more. But yeah, it's 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 insane. Like the number, you, you know, no, no matter how you cut it, it's crazy. Um, and then of course, internationally, the international market over in Europe, there's a lot of theaters closed, so it's not making as much money as it probably could have. But those numbers over the overseas are still impressive that we've now hit a billion dollars. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and then that brings up the topic of will we ever see Spider-Man again? Um, and then there was there was some like rumors going around right after it. And we're finding like new information out all the time and what's true and not true. Uh, what's the, what's the latest that like your understanding is so i you know just to be transparent all of this is just you know speculation at this point but publicly it's not known whether tom holland has signed another deal uh for the next mcu trilogy uh we do know that there's at least one more um crossover i guess movie that where you we're going to see the character again uh so a movie that's not spider-man uh, based but he will be included as part of the cast what that project is and where it's going to land we don't know uh, but beyond that there has to be a new deal set in place uh, to get him back in so um, from the information that I've heard a deal has already been at least verbally agreed upon behind the scenes uh, which we probably won't know <laughs> until a couple months out once they start uh, or solidifying everything because I feel like uh if i you know if i were tom holland i'd be looking for more money right now right for your next uh contract with sony yeah um and i think that's going to be very dependent on how his next movie with them does which is uncharted um and if that movie generates a good amount of buzz i feel like it'll probably be uh kind of like a robert Downey jr situation where he can you know wrestle like 10 i i think that the rumors that i've heard is that he's aiming for 10 million dollars uh, for each movie. Do you think Uncharted's going to do well? I don't really know, man. Video game movies are not like They're not good, that great. <laughs> they're not. Like I and I'm trying to think cuz I I feel like video game adaptations that have worked out, I can only think of The Witcher, and that's not a movie. That's a that's a Netflix series. Kong Skull Skull Island. <laughs> I don't think you can count that as a as a video game ad- adaptation, right? Cuz I mean, destroy all monsters. It basically was. Yeah, we'll say it's a loosely based kind of thing. <laughs> uh, well, now that you mentioned Kong, I thought of the one with the rock and the giant monkey. Um, oh, Rampage. Rampage, yeah. <laughs> that one actually was the, I think, was the best performing uh, video game adaptation at the box office. Man, that Which... one was so bad. <laughs> well, that's saying something though. Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, but I think in terms of like official stuff, we'll, we'll probably be hearing something. Uh, probably after the home video release of this movie. Um, but I, I do think that Tom Holland's probably going to be getting a big fat check for any commitment he does moving forward. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has to come back in some capacity. Like, I've heard rumors that it won't be connected to the MCU. Who knows what's true or not, or, like, what will end up happening. Because, like, a verbal agreement is not the same thing as a signed agreement. So we'll just wait and see. But I, I can't imagine that he's done after you know this success in the box office i can't imagine them being like 
yeah, let's just uh, go ahead and put that on the shelf and retire it. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think both Sony and Marvel have kind of worked out their issues at this point because they both see, you know, money signs. They both get value out of it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, Marvel has a merchandising deal, which is, you know, know, for anybody that hasn't known, there's, there's three big properties that yield you the most money from a merchandising standpoint, and that's Star Wars, that's Spider-Man, and that's Batman. Any other stats or anything uh, you want to talk about before we get into spoiler-free? I guess the last thing is, you know, since we're talking, you know, when we're going to see this version of the MCU Spidey again, uh, the one call-out I did want to point out is that we do have one confirmed project coming up, and that's um, the uh, Spider-Man freshman year animated series coming to Disney+, Plus, which apparently is MCU canon, so... You know, it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. Um, that's going to be exploring that year and a half or so before he meets Tony Stark. Uh, again, interesting take, interesting kind of idea. But I hope, A, I hope they bring Tom Holland in for the voice because, you know, you and I had our gripes about uh, the voice casting <laughs> in the, in What If. So if they keep it consistent and the storytelling is solid, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but, you know... I kind of would have preferred if they did some like even live action short films, like a 10 minute thing or something like that would be cool. Yeah. But if they bring Tom Holland in and not Robert Downey Jr. Well, I guess it's before he meets him. So he probably won't make an appearance. Yeah. We're talking like the minions looking costume <laughs> that he had in uh, the the homemade suit from, from uh, homecoming. Okay. Then yeah, I, I do hope they bring him in. Or change the like the likeness of the character, because uh, that was the thing that was weird. And what if it's a little distracting? Yeah, you're just like you're visually anticipating one thing, but audibly you're hearing something else. Yeah. All right, so let's hop into spoiler free. Uh, so this segment is still safe, although I doubt that you have lasted this long without seeing spoilers, because uh, it was pretty heavy on the night of like opening night. It was. People were recording stuff on their phones and posting it. Oh, that was insane. If, yeah. if you know, I, I wish I could show you my like um, social media feed, it's particularly like my TikTok feed. The night of, I went on TikTok and it's literally just every other one is people recording it yeah. <laughs> on their phones. And I'm just like, it's, it was insane. Like, my God, I know people were hyped. It's just like, I, I, I wish everybody it, would just respect that boundary thing. Yeah, you got to give it time. And also, just like, why were you on your phone on opening night, like, even to record it? Just enjoy it. I will give props to the folks that recorded the audience reactions because those are gems that I feel like were really, really cool for, like, Endgame. Like, I remember during the pandemic when I'm missing, like, theater going, I'd go back and take a look at those audience reactions. Um, but those were – here's my gripe. is like, those were authentic. And then I've listened to some – for this and it feels like people just it seems like the people who are recording are the loudest because they just want to be like they want to play it up i don't know it, it could be yeah like there's a couple of like events that happened that like fan screenings that where i feel like the majority of the people especially if there was like social media influencers or that kind of thing like the reactions seemed very uh you know forced right and that's so annoying <laughs> but that we can talk about that at the end um do you want to go first on your spoiler free yeah i will say 
I, I you know I'm a little surprised about this, but I I loved it. I I felt like I, it had its flaws. I have a couple of you know issues with some of the plot uh, elements in there, but I think this was a solid ending to the MCU Spider-Man trilogy. Hopefully not the last. <laughs> um, it, I thought it was well balanced, well acted. Like I said, a couple minor plot issues here and there, but essentially when i look at the last three movies as a whole this was essentially a very long-winded origin story for the mcu spider-man um so i you know i i really really think this would be um it it, it ranks high up in my mcu rankings and after seeing it a couple times i just i really just wanted to make sure <laughs> like I, I was confident in my um ability to properly rank them non non-biasedly but yeah, it surprised me. I, especially after hearing a lot of stuff and leaks and rumors and all this stuff, like it, 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 it lived up to my expectations of it, uh, and even surpassed it at, at a few points. Uh, I, I don't think this is like the perfect movie that some people are are saying it is, but I do think that uh, this is what you get when you combine a good level of fan service uh, with an appropriately well-crafted story that doesn't veer far to any other you know to, to one particular segment of the audience and i feel like this uh did a really good job ju- juggling all those elements together yeah i i totally agree with you and i also thought i mean this was an outstanding movie it had so much stacked up against it like there was so much hype everyone had expectations there was rumors there were uh, we, we've seen that before with like we talk about it all the time with like last jedi where you get these like fan theories and these expectations built up and you look at the cast too and like you know who was going to be in it and then you also had like theories of other people who are going to be in it and all of that can just weigh against it where it's really hard to live up to and i thought it surpassed it uh in every way and actually like you know talking about the cast like it's a really stacked group of actors and actresses and i thought you know it could end up being crowded kind of like an eternals type of thing but it was super well balanced i thought like the the chemistry between the actors was actually the best part of the movie and and lastly i think that like yeah this wasn't so much a like building up the the last spider-man movie for like tom holland it was more of like honoring like the whole eight film legacy that uh that has been built up so you're not reintroducing you know characters or trying to like build up a new storyline that would make sense for it to fit in here and like you don't have to fight like focus on all like those like micro details for the plot some of it's just like kind of go along with it a lot of it made sense and i would i think the way they ended it like i would be satisfied if this is the last time we see tom holland as spider-man like in a solo movie Obviously, I would love to see him, like, come in for, like, Doctor Strange's movie or, like, Ant-Man or something where, like, we can see, like, check in with him. But I, you know, they ended it so perfectly that it's like, okay, I got what I wanted. It definitely doesn't leave you on a cliffhanger the way that, you know, I, I, I still think going back and, like, replaying our concerns after Far From Home uh, and the Sony and Marvel deal breaking up, I thought it would have been, like, a, a heartbreak had we not gotten a continuation there. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree. The ending was just like perfect here. Especially since like, we know that like anything could happen between like Sony and Marvel where they end up deciding like, you know what, we'll keep 
we'll we'll make our own movies and they won't be connected to yours and it's like it won't be the same uh so i don't know if i really want that so i think they ended it just the way they needed to where if it works out we can see more of them if it doesn't that's fine but i feel like we might be getting ready to talk spoilers so why don't we head into character scene and plot discussion so if you haven't seen it still plan to and you don't want spoilers Definitely pause here. So why don't we start with the obvious of the, of the main leads here, all the Peters. Leads? Tom. Wait, 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 wait. What? <laughs> Tom, Andrew, and Toby. Impossible. Andrew Garfield himself said on Jimmy Kimmel that he is not in this. In yeah, this give movie. give that man the Oscar. Oh my God. Can can we talk about him first? Because I feel like yeah. Um, honestly, and you know, and 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 again, like this is me after watching it. You know, for, for for the fourth time here, um, I feel like out of Toby and Andrew, Andrew really gave it his all here. Like he, I, yeah, he came in with so much energy. I I loved it, and it left me like I don't know, like at, at the end of the this last showing, I'm just like, you know what? Give get give my man over there his Amazing Spider-Man three. Like close out his trilogy. Like give him a proper <laughs> ending. Come on. Yeah, it. He definitely was like. He just wanted to, like, do better. And it's not that he even did his series bad, but it was just, like, he just got moved on from so fast that this definitely, like, his performance in this definitely makes you nostalgic for for his role. I'll be honest. I think, like, actor caliber-wise, when we look at their portfolios, I feel like Andrew Garfield is the strongest actor to have ever played Spider-Man. But he was just given the, the, like, most unfortunate story out of all of them. Yeah, he like ev- this movie as a whole is so emotional. Like all the actors are trying their best to like, you know, get through some really tough, sad scenes. And I feel like Andrew has one of the top tier ones where he talks about Gwen, and then you get to see him save MJ at the end. Like he re- he really puts it all on the line. Where you're almost like, this is not a superhero movie. This is like a serious, uh, you know, Oscar contender type movie. Yeah, he elevated it. Like his, we always said his performance was great in Amazing Spider-Man. It's just, you know, he was dealt the shorthand at the end of the day there. But here, he brought his A game. Um, you know, he he made you an emotional mess, and then also gave you like the the good like proper humor. I guess you would expect from a Spider-Man movie. He, to me, he was he was uh, the strongest out of the two, out of the two uh, legacy toby uh, toby's <laughs> the legacy <laughs> but i i like that also they let the characters age so they didn't like de-age them through cgi or they didn't like i don't know rewrite the plot or something like that for them i like that they kind of let them continue on their trail and like you can kind of guess where their characters had gone afterwards and you get little snippets of like them talking about their relationships or like their peter parker life versus their uh, spider-man lives it's like i i enjoyed that how they how they worked them in in terms of their introduction did did, did you did you, were you expecting them to be introduced the way that they were with uh you know the, the, with that little side plot of ned essentially gaining dr strange type magic yeah i like that they give ned an opportunity to get out of the chair and also kind of like have that parallel to uh, toby's best friend becoming like a superhero type of thing or and i guess tom or uh, andrews as well so I, I like that aspect of it. I didn't wasn't expecting it, but then as soon as you see, like he says, show me Peter Parker, and you see a Spider-Man at the end of the tunnel, like you knew it was coming. 
Yeah, and my audience lost it. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was a that was a major hype one when when Andrew takes off the the face covering. Yeah, like as soon as the portal opened up, I guess everybody started guessing what that you know who was gonna come through. Um, right. That entire introduction scene was 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 great. I feel like uh, you know they played up the humor quite a bit. They balanced it out emotionally there too. Um, you know, and then. I don't know if it's the same on you, but I feel like, you know, there was a very strong reaction to Andrew coming in. But then you know, segueing to Toby, I've never heard from the from the first uh, showing that I went to. I've never heard a theater be um, quite as hyped up as Toby in plain clothes walking through <laughs> one of those portals. I've never seen an audience uh, react the way that, you know, my uh, opening night audience reacted to that. I thought it was great. And at the same time, I'm one of those people that wants to hear the dialogue, you know? Oh, yeah, that's the only thing. And I, that's interesting you say that because I think Andrew's got a bigger reception in our theater. Because I, I think the way it played out is like when he says, show me Peter Parker and Andrew, Andrew's version of him comes through. When he does it again, like I think the expectation was even bigger. That's like, okay, now it's Toby's turn. Like, uh, So I, I don't want to say like having them both appear in the same way ruined it, but it definitely was like, uh, I don't know. You could have worked Toby in a different way. Maybe. Yeah, that might've been good. Um, my, my, uh, opening night crowd was doing like a drum roll <laughs> to build up to, to, to Toby. Right. Cause you know, it's coming. So like if you, if you worked it in a different way, I think that could have been a little bit better, but I like that Andrew and Toby's character got to have their moment first where like they are just feeling each other out kind of thing. But yeah, I'm totally with you where it's like I love getting a crowd reaction cuz it gives you those like those goosebumps. But I also hate that like you get to miss one crucial punchline <laughs> dialogue bit that's like on their introduction. It's like, guys, didn't you want to hear that? Like I I don't react l- out loud. I just like get excited. I nod in approval. Or <laughs> shake my head in disapproval. Chuck Norris thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm I'm the same way. Like I, you know, internally I'm freaking out, but right. I always I try to be like conscious of the people around me. Um, yeah. I mean, I will laugh if it, if it's a funny scene because like there there was a lot of humor in this movie. There was, yeah. I, I I it took me. I think it wasn't until my third viewing that I finally got a crowd that wasn't very like reactive because it was early in the morning. And yeah. so I finally got to hear the full dialogue in that scene because everything from Andrew crawling on the wall right, to Toby coming in and just like having a brief interaction bit of dialogue with uh, Zendaya and, you know, and Ned's characters, um, all of it got enormous applause. And I was like, I love it, but also please calm down. <laughs> let let them act. Let Let them let them talk. Yeah, yeah. But, but it, the, humor, it was great. the humor in this movie, it can be written, but it's the chemistry between these three guys that's like that really plays it out well. Because like you can write humor, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to come across right. But these guys bounced off each other so well. It was great. I you you had um and and each one of the um, actors I think played to their strengths right because I feel like you had Andrew being the very much more like. It's it's like the Spider-Man that's gone through trauma and is just getting through it at the moment. And then Toby is 
the Spider-Man that's seen it all, right? And like you can kind of tell it in his face. He's kind of like a little worn down a bit. Obviously, he's aged up a bit, but um, you know, he's the the veteran, the guy that's kind of been through most of what these other two are just about to go through. And then you get Tom, who is, you know, the new guy on the block per se, but also uh you can see just how well experienced he is at this point compared to the other two at that same point in their i guess tenure as spider-man right right they all learned from each other in a way which our biggest fear of this when we were discussing it was like i don't want it to be like the spider-verse movie where he needed a mentor he needed to learn how to use his powers and how to like accept being spider-man but they kind of gave us a little bit of that but it was all that they fed off each other because we they knew at the end of the day like I'm going to be going back to my universe and I need to like, you know, learn from these two. What can I do better? Yeah. And it wasn't so much a full on mentor role. It was more so like they gave him a bit of a pep talk. Yeah. It's more reassurance. Like you're on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, and I feel like each one of them seemed to come away with some sort of like a big experience on it. So much so that I kind of hope this isn't the last that we see of toby and andrew um and we can talk about that later but i've heard some stuff and i you know if it is true then hopefully this isn't the last time we see them but um you know i i I think this was uh for you know to see toby again by the way um i don't think he's quite as active active in in like the um acting scene anymore as he was even like maybe five or six years ago right because i i can't tell one i can't name one movie that he's been in recently yeah, I was going to say, like, I haven't really followed his career that much, but it's great to see him back on the screen. And, like, he, he snaps right back into the role. Like, everybody who, you know, was a previous role in the earlier Spider-Man movies, they all snap back into their roles and they they evolve it in just a little bit way. But, gosh, they it's so reminiscent and nostalgic for what we had when we were kids and what we were watching growing up. Yeah, and I feel like that's what the biggest strength of this film was, right? Because ultimately, like, it set out to be, like, a tribute to the last 20-plus years of Spider-Man content. And, you know, when when you set something up like that, the majority of the time, you have people cheering you on, but they still expect you to fail, <laughs> you know? Um, and I feel like that element was there for this movie because there was so much hype behind it that I didn't think that that aspect of it would be able to be balanced out right. But lo and behold they worked it out really well they ended up not being just a third act one-off gag or or, or play right or a glorified cameo like they worked them in as a solid part of the story um and it worked because i don't think either of them overshadowed tom holland's performance at all no Um, but it served to enhance the movie experience here which you know thank god for that i guess but also like it just delivered a more solid experience um for this movie yeah and it's it's such an ambitious and bold way to introduce the multiverse like you don't have to do it this way they didn't have to do it like they could have just used dr strange and like figured out some other way to like introduce multiversal characters you don't have to like go back to where fans have high regard for toby and apparently high regard for andrew i feel like he never really got his flowers during the time. And now everyone's like, he was my favorite. But right. you didn't have to bring these guys back or their or their villains or like anything like that. But that's what Marvel's done so well. I, I, I hate to bring it back up because we talk about it a lot here, but I'm I'm going to anyway, because I feel like it's appropriate to to point it out. But 
um, when it came to something like uh, the sequel trilogy for Star Wars, right? Like one of the big hype moments was like, oh, the original cast is coming back. And yeah. they never got their just desserts, right? Like we never got the shot with all three of them. They all have uh, an early up. exit. <laughs> right, right. And it was very unceremonious. And I feel like it's almost like borderline disrespectful treatment of these characters that were so beloved for people that grew up with these films. Um, and I was nervous that something like that was going to happen, right? Because we've seen that's kind of been the trend lately uh we've seen you know like we've seen different movies try and do that kind of passing of the torch kind of thing and it hasn't worked because like most of the time they'll use them to kind of boost up the the new talent while kind of downplaying the old one it's it's a way to like put old fans in the seat like people who might have might not be into like the current franchise it's a way to get them back into yeah. the, into the franchise, and like that was clearly what they were doing with um, with Star Wars. The one thing I will say though for this, and to like you know back off of giving this all all of the praise, if we can talk about the baddies, Lizard and Sandman didn't really make sense in this movie. Like their motivations didn't really make sense. Yeah, no, I they were the benchwarmers essentially. Of the... It's not just that they like were kind of like breezed past. It's like they're what motivated them was kind of like you, it wasn't clear where their allegiances lie. And when they switched, and you realize like, oh wait, no, now they're not with Tom Holland's character. They're against him. But why did they switch? And when did they switch? Like those were the two that I couldn't jive with like doc ock made sense like once he had the voices out of his head he's a good guy electro and goblin make sense because like they are searching for more power so like those three made sense but then it's just like they worked in a couple more villains just to like fill out the even out the odds yeah that 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 was one of my gripes of this movie is I feel like on the villain standpoint, I would have been fine if we cut Lizard and Sandman. I feel like they were just there, you know, like, and and also one thing, because I, I caught this uh, maybe on my third viewing or so, I kind of hung on to it a little bit, but then I went back and saw Spider-Man 3, because um, I, I think I've said it on the show before, but like, I love looking at the DVD extras and the deleted scenes and all that stuff from when, when these movies get their like uh, home video release. There's a shot of Sandman when he gets um, cured um, in No Way Home that's taken directly from Spider-Man 3's deleted scenes. So it also makes me wonder, like, I don't think, and I'm pretty sure the same thing is true of the Lizard's character. His um, The scene where he's being healed, it's also cut from Amazing Spider-Man. So I, I'm wondering, like, were they not able to get these guys in in person or they just wanted to pay them for the voiceovers? But not, you know, a full-on check for them to be present there because we only got CG Sandman through most of this. That's so funny. I didn't make that connection. Uh, but yeah, I, I bet that's it. They're just voice actors because when they got cured, they didn't have this like revelation that Doc Ock had or uh, that Jamie Fox had with Electro's character. Like those guys like saw like, okay, well now I'm no longer like the most powerful guy that I was going to be, but I'm, I'm going to be able to go back and be alive. The other two yeah. guys like lizard and Sandman, they just got cured and didn't have a line. 
Yeah, no, you know, the Goblin, Doc Ock, Jamie Foxx, they worked for that check. But but the other two, you know, I think they literally had them phone in that performance because they did. I, I'm assuming again, I'm assuming that they don't want that they don't want to cut you know big checks for these two. Which is sad because like the performances that um, Doc Ock, Electro, and Goblin had really made me nostalgic for that for their characters and really like them by the end of this. Like I bet that we could have liked Sandman even more if you give him some, you know, a plot that makes sense. Yeah, and that's why I feel like we didn't need it because they didn't even go full Sinister Six on us, right? And that's one of those things I speculated yeah. before the movie came out is I didn't feel like they were actually going to give us that sixth villain. And if that was the case, you didn't need five villains here. You could cut it back to three and it would have been it would have worked perfectly. That's fine. Like, I feel like Electra was so boosted in power that he alone was a danger to all three of them. Right. Yeah. And then Goblin was like enough for just Tom to yeah. like gripe with it. Can I be the good guy that his aunt may wanted him to be? Or is this going to like steer me to, to a darker path? Like Andrew Garfield's character. Let's talk about those two, the three main bad guys here too, though. Cause well, we talked a little bit about Electro, but let, let's talk about Doc Ock and, and the goblin. Cause, Oh my God. <laughs> um, yeah, it's no secret I've shared it before. I, I loved Alfred Molina's performance as Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2. That's still one of my favorite Spider-Man movies. Um, I thought he was great in this movie. Like, I I, I loved it. I think his inclusion made sense because this, this was the villain that kind of represented that hope that they were going for, the hope that Aunt May was talking about. Uh, so I, I thought it was a perfect um, inclusion there. But Willem Dafoe's Goblin, my God. <laughs> And he, he was just like, he can, you know, it's a light switch for the guy. He can just turn it on and off, like, without doing anything other than just, like, how he says a line slightly differently. That fight in the apartment complex. Oh, my gosh. Brutal. Just throwing him through floors. Like, is Goblin supposed to be that strong? And, like, he just wasn't in the in Tobey Maguire's trilogy? Yeah, so that's actually a good point because like a lot of my friends and I were, were talking about it. And I'm like, yeah, I feel like he put up more of a fight against Tom Holland's Spider-Man. He, he was absorbing punches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he he is supposed to be as strong, if not stronger, than Spider-Man uh, yeah. in the comics. But oh my god, this fight! For for I, I, one of the biggest criticisms I've heard about the MCU Spider-Man is that he doesn't throw punches. Like he's often like kicking and just webbing people up. You right. can't complain about that in this movie. <laughs> Um, it gets brutal. That hand-to-hand combat was, like, insane. Yeah, and then, I mean, also, like, getting him to look like the Green Goblin, like, how he should look like with that costume, and, like, the movements, it all, like, I'm not, I've said it before, I'm not the biggest comic book reader, but, like, I can recognize when they, like, have done something right. If if there's only one thing I would have changed about it was give him a proper mask or something. But, like, I don't know how you make that classic look into uh, Honestly, no. Willem Dafoe doesn't even need it. Because, like, the way he, like, <laughs> I don't know if that's CG or what. But, like, the way he contorts his face with his smiles and stuff like that, he pulls it off, man. He does. He does. But it was it was enough for me that they put on the, uh, the purple, like, tra- wrappings around him uh, on his costume. And and the goggles completed that sinister look, too. And it, this is obviously, like, despite being more powerful, like, being buffed for this version of him, 
Peter, Parker, any of these three could have beaten him easily. But I like what they did with evolving Peter's character by, you know, using Aunt May to be the Uncle Ben role uh, of being the victim and, like, being the one who tells Peter that, like, it's not just about fighting for justice. It's about, like, you know, lifting up those around us. And, like, that's the mission. It's not, you know serving justice in whatever way is easiest or, or quickest. Yeah. And the, the, you know, our rest in peace, Aunt May, you know, like, Powerful I, scene. yeah, I, as soon as she delivered the, with great power comes great responsibility line. I was like, Oh, that's it. She's dead. Right. <laughs> right. Like, well, as soon as she got impaled by the glider, I was like, yeah, I'm surprised she even was able to stand for a second. <laughs> They, I felt like it was a little bit of a red herring at first. I was like, oh, they, they were, they were gonna trick us into thinking she was gonna die, and then she did ultimately end up dying. But how did you feel about her giving the lime instead of like the Uncle Ben character that we're used to seeing? I thought, I thought it felt appropriate for this version of Spider-Man, just because we haven't seen. I, I feel like it would have been forced if they in this movie now started referencing Uncle Ben from the start, right? Like we, we had, we know Uncle Ben existed in this universe from a couple little tidbits here and there right like there's peter alluded to his death in civil war they touched on it a little bit in homecoming um and i think in far from home the suitcase that he's taking is has uncle um, ben's yeah it's his initials yeah so like we know he's in that world um the one thing that i felt was kind of curious is when he was telling the other two peters you know Aunt, aunt may's you know that Aunt May told him with great power comes great responsibility. They both said, oh, like Uncle Ben said that the day he died. And so Tom's eyes kind of like widened. And I thought maybe that's kind of like an indication that, you know, it could have been that she also got that from Uncle Ben. Um, Oh, I just read it more as like Tom realizing, you know, we are the same kind of people. So I can learn something here. Yeah, I think it's more so your interpretation than mine on that, to be honest. But like for me, it was just kind of like it, it could also be read as like, okay, well, there's a little bit of a, you know, he he didn't like outright be like, oh, who's Uncle Ben, you know, <laughs> or anything like that. <laughs> well, the relationship is that was built is with Aunt May, so it's totally right that she got to deliver the line, and it wouldn't have been a trilogy, like a a solid trilogy without that line being said once. Like, yeah, you don't have to replay the whole like getting gunned down in the street scene, but that line has to be delivered. And it wouldn't be a Disney sponsored movie without parental deaths (laughs) and leaving (laughs) the protagonist as an orphan. Yeah. Which I feel so bad because like he's got such a dump of an apartment that I'm also like, how are you still affording that? (laughs) (laughs) There's elements of, you know, and and for anyone listening that hasn't either hasn't played it or hasn't seen the cutscenes of it, the the Spider-Man PS4 game is one of the best Spider-Man stories ever. You don't have to play the game; just go and watch the cutscenes. It's great. But there's so there's so many little like um, and I, I I'm not gonna say like callbacks because I don't think that's what they're going for here. But there's there's little elements of it that show up at the end of this movie, like like that apartment, like that apartment is ripped straight from that video game. <laughs> Really, to um, me, it looked just like Toby's apartment. It which did. I, it might also be from the video game. I don't know. It, it it's modeled after. Well, I think the video game one was modeled after Toby's apartment, probably. Um, but yeah, it it, it did look like that too. But I, I was expecting for that door to be stuck, 
when he said rent's due on the <laughs> first of the month. Like, I was expecting for him to struggle opening that door. I was expecting, uh, what's his name, Mr. Uh, Ditkovich or whatever his name was? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the landlord. Yeah. Um, uh, let's go back, though, to, to Doc Ock, because I feel like we didn't really talk about him. I love him. <laughs> Honestly, this movie made me like him a lot more, too. I really, really love him. <laughs> he just, like, he gets back into that role so easily. Just like uh, Willem Dafoe. He does. I feel like, um, you know, there was an interview with Kevin Feige where he's like, oh, we, we didn't want to do Goblin. We didn't want to do Doc Ock in the MCU because, like, who else could play it better than the people we've already had? And he's right. You know, like, and, and it also felt really, um, really cool to see him. One thing, we talked about this before, but obviously they de-aged Alfred Molina, right? I couldn't really tell too much of that you know, work on the close-up shots, whereas I thought that was going to be an awkward thing because if if I remember like Rogue One, you know, the, the, that's why they didn't hover on Tarkin all that much because like it, it still didn't look all that great. I mean, uh, I have I have lowered standards because I thought the Tarkin was like fine. And I do, I do agree though that this one looked really good. Right, like this is the first uh, de aging where I'm just like, I, I didn't really bat that much of an eye on it. And it, it, it kind of, I didn't even realize they de aged him that much uh, until I saw some of the interviews with him. But they definitely did some, some work on it. But yeah, it, it, it felt great. It, it didn't seem like, a, like a stretch or anything like that. And maybe I just need to rewatch Spider Man too, but. The relationship that he had with the voices in his head in this one just felt better than in the Toby trilogy. I don't know. I thought I thought he had a pretty solid foundation on it in Spider-Man. And that might just be like I haven't seen it for a while. Like I didn't um, prep with that movie, but uh, I don't know. I just felt like he acted with the arms so well this time that in a way that I don't remember it being that good yeah i don't know i have um yeah I, I think he he picked up the role really well um i never again i always sing high praises of spider-man too so i can't really <laughs> say i feel like it's consistent with it um and and, and i don't know like i recently rewatched it uh like just a couple of days ago spider-man 2 i mean um and it, it's great like i feel like um one of those things with this character in particular is that he exemplifies that like tragic villain uh, maybe even more so than Norman, right? Because I feel like Norman had very ambitious goals and kind of selfish goals uh, in mind. You feel bad for him because he's, you know, has this like psyche that's broken up. But on Otto's side, he just really was looking to better the world, and he got into an unfortunate accident as a result. Yeah, which when you bring that up as well is such a, um, it's so cool that like Tom's. Peter Parker's version of like art that universe is so much more advanced than the other ones. And I'm glad they didn't like steer away from it. Like Electro noticing that the power is different because it's like all Stark reactor power. Um, like Doc Ock getting to see like the power of the sun in the palm of his hand. Like I like that they didn't steer away from the obvious, like, well, we have the Avengers and you guys didn't. Right. That was also that, that was actually a pretty cool point too, because like I, it's interesting because 
I, I, like I don't know what the proper way to kind of or I don't know if it, it would have felt good if they're like oh you you you're part of the Avengers oh I know them from my universe that kind of thing like I don't know if that would have played well at all just because it it solidifies that these are very unique universes and the multiverse isn't just like oh you're a straight up variant of this other version of you from this other uh world like you we're definitely getting the sense that these are very very different worlds yeah it's just countless universes so there might be one where it's a they also have the avengers but then have different villains so like they're all just slightly different variations but i'm glad they stuck with the history that we know yeah um how do you feel about uh i guess the goblin becoming the goblin again (laughs) if we're for uh, for Spider-Man here, because I feel like there's no, yeah, I've, I've said it before, but I feel like it, it is very true, especially after this movie, that Green Goblin is essentially the Joker to Spider-Man's Batman. Yeah, I think that you have to have him in here, and I think it makes sense for him to be the one who is the main, you know, antagonist to push Peter forward, uh, just because it's the character that you know, up just willingly went to Aunt May and she said, like, she made him put him on a pedestal and said, this is the person that, like, this is the reason why we have to help him because they are so split internally um, that they're not always, like, they weren't always a bad guy. So it's it may not have been your responsibility, but it is now. So I'm happy that they used that to, that trust that she pushed on Peter to, be the fuel for for progressing the character yeah and it's actually you know and i want to kind of segue into dr strange a little bit with this next point but i feel like um one of the things and we talked about this in the tom holland um retrospective episode we did a couple weeks ago but i i feel like one of the cool things about spider-man as a character overall is that he is just like very empathetic sympathetic character he's not like take someone like dr strange because earlier he's like oh well yeah they're gonna die like sucks to be them (laughs) you know like um but then you have spider-man who has this very high moral compass i would argue even more so than a captain america or definitely more so than like an iron man or a thor um and arguably maybe one of the strongest of the heroes in this world it's such a cool refreshing thing to see and i say refreshing because i feel like we've kind of gotten away from that um, from the superhero genre a bit uh spider-man's no killing rule <laughs> is still alive here but like it it comes from like the guy that could probably crush anybody's skull <laughs> with uh, you know with with a minor effort there um it was cool to see that that concept kind of be brought back into the mcu not that it was missing but it was kind of brought to the forefront here yeah i i kind of side with dr strange though just because like Peter's looking at it from the lens of everybody deserves our help. Uh, we we are more fortunate with our powers, so we should be the ones who help them. Great message. I hope that doesn't get lost in the wash of this movie, like all the epic scenes of this movie. But Doctor Strange is also right because you don't know. You don't like he said it in the one of the lines was like you. We don't understand what the calculus is of the multiverse. So if we make adjustments and send them back, we don't know what we're what havoc we're going to create on the other end. So it's best if we just like 
right the wrongs that we created and just, you know, hopefully we didn't mess it up too much. Yeah, but I also feel like he was more so concerned with the stability of this, you know, his universe versus theirs. Um, that's where I kind of took that those lines to kind of go. Like, he was more so like, all right, well, yeah, th- they're going to die, they're going to die, that's their fate. No, I, um, I viewed it more as, like, he understood, like, the the stability of all of the multiverses, like, all of the universes depends on putting it back correctly. But I feel like if that were the case, he would have undid everything that Peter did before sending them back. Because he, regardless of what the outcome ended up being at the end here, like, they, they, they were cured, he should have uncured them and sent them back if he was nervous about creating a instability i guess um i don't know if there was time for that yeah i guess i'm talking about like on on the statue of liberty at the end he would have like press paused gave sandman back to the like his sans state of being something essentially yeah What, what i mean is like he's if if he really is concerned about the rest of the multiverse and not just his side of the universe he would have undid what peter did because by definition that those changes would be catastrophic on their end. But he I didn't have no idea that. how that would have even worked. He doesn't have the time stone. No, I know. But what I mean is like that, like that he probably would have been or would have, I guess, tried to change what has already been done. If if he if he willingly or he knowingly knows that if he sends those back the way that they are, it would cause a, a big issue. I don't know. I just, I still, I just see Doctor Strange as like somebody who's very practical and like it make, you know, he makes practical sense. Um, but he's not very moral, <laughs> I guess. Um, because I, I revert back to like the scene in Infinity War where he tells Tony straight out, like, "Hey, look, I don't care about either of you two. I will let you both die, for you know, in exchange for protecting the Time Stone." And yet at the end, it was his act of having to save Tony's life that actually ended up benefiting the timeline. He must have seen in that future that the time zone would be destroyed. Sure. But again, it contradicts his whole thing of like, oh, well, I need to follow this straight and narrow path because this is what needs to happen to, to you know, ensure the stability of this timeline. Yeah, he's a he- complex character to track because like he's such a rule breaker by nature. But then he's also the one who recites the rules to everybody. Yeah. And then disregards them. Like, <laughs> like the rules apply for everybody else. So I'll I'll educate you what they are, but they don't apply to me. He's stayed a bit arrogant still. And I feel like we'll probably see that addressed in Doctor Strange too. <laughs> right. Like, but... for arrogance, like, how about that, uh, the mirror dimension fight? Like, there's no reason to go f- that full tilt in that fight like other than just to like show off the power that you have and then totally lose (laughs) like how does how did he get bested i'll be honest like i i like dr strange as like a character but um in terms of like ranking him in terms of whether he's one of my favorite characters in the mcu he's not (laughs) he's just kind of he's a little too arrogant for my taste um because i feel like tony had like arrogance but with some morality there you know and Doctor Strange, I feel like, kind of views himself a little bit above it all at times. That it's just kind of like, okay, like tone it down a bit. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that that. By the way, that the Mirror Dimension fight was great. <laughs> I didn't think I'd see um see Doctor Strange get beat by Spider Man like that. 
by using math <laughs> None, nonetheless science beats magic <laughs> uh but it was cool because that did project like um that did move the story forward with like getting ned the powers that allowed peter to have time without having like dr strange breathing down his neck so i don't know if i buy that he would win that fight any more times out of like out of 10 times i think he's only winning that fight one time I think it's just he, uh, he underestimated him, and that's what yeah. ended up costing him that. But again, it goes back to his arrogance. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think the only other... Oh, well, we got to talk about the friends. So we, we've mentioned Ned's name a couple times, getting the ability to use the power, um, which I said I liked. Did you... How did you feel about that? I thought it was good. It was a good transition. Um, you know, gave us a little bit more, and also gave us an, the ability to have both Ned and um, MJ play a more integral role. Um, I feel like we started to get a little bit of, of that in Far From Home, um, and then in Homecoming it was just Peter and Ned, right? Like Ned being like quote unquote the guy in the chair. <laughs> Which I love that they keep using that line, like when they were getting interrogated, <laughs> and the the what the interrogators playing good cop he's like dude i know all about that half my guys are guys in the chair (laughs) (laughs) i was dying laughing in that crowd i so my favorite line from ned in this movie is the one where he goes and is trying to like asking all these questions from uh i think this is toby's uh peter where he scrolls up and he's like hey so did you have a best friend too (laughs) yeah and he just lays it out. He's like, yeah, he died, he died tragically by arms. arms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was so good at that. And then that prompted the uh, the meme culture, which I got to say, I love that this movie, like, on top of everything else, I love that they were, like, understand, like, have a finger on the pulse, understand what the memes are, and steer into them and don't, like, try and fight them. Like, having the Spider-Man point at each other or, like, talk about, like, how lame, like, fighting Rhino is. Like, I like that they understand what is funny to the crowd. The self-appraisal that uh, Toby gives Andrew's Spider-Man on the... <laughs> it's so good. He's like, you're not lame, man. You're amazing. You like... are amazing. <laughs> I need you to hear that. Can you say it? <laughs> they really had a lot of those things in this film that worked like magic for me and i feel like between that the little scene where they're talking about their web fluid oh my gosh so good the cracking of toby's back by andrew's <laughs> yeah. spider-man you ever have a web block <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that i did have one existential <laughs> crisis <laughs> been there <laughs> oh, don't even get me started man yeah it's but, so good like there's so many lines in there that are like going to be like quotable I felt like if anybody got maybe a little bit of the short end of the stick in this movie, it probably was um, it probably was uh, Aunt May just a little bit. No way, it's MJ who got the short, who got the snub. Well, yeah, she would be in my number two on there, but no, I, I feel like Aunt May more so because I don't know. I thought I would we would have had a little bit more um, scenes with her building up to her death, right? But. It's fine. It's balanced out as well as it should be. But I feel like if if we're talking about characters that were undercut just a little bit, um, for time's sake, it, it probably for me it probably was uh, Aunt May. But, well, but would, tell me why would, it was MJ for you? I, I would expect that Aunt May's time would get cut, but I don't. I think she got. I mean, this is all just, like just on perception. But I, I oh my God, 
<laughs> I uh, I think she got probably the same, if not more time per movie than the other movies. And like, it's fine because you don't want to put more time. Like this sounds awful, but you don't want to put more time into a character that you know is going to be offed, I guess. When you already have a relationship, like if you didn't have a, like if, if her dying wasn't emotional because it wasn't earned, like that's, then you do need to put more time into her. But she already had like that great protective mother role built up over the other two movies. Then, then like reinforced in this one, like I think she got enough, but like MJ's character really was only in there as like used as like talking about uh having a relationship with peter and then she doesn't like solve anything she doesn't like fix anything she just kind of guards the cube and she's a super smart character so i don't know why they didn't give her a bigger role yeah they kind of snubbed her a little bit in favor of the two peters like get her get her working in the lab when they're all like coming up with you know solutions for how to fix or how to cure the the villains I'm I'm sure she could have figured something out. Like I would have liked if they were like stumped on one of the guys and they needed her help or something. That is true. You're right. She did have more of an active um, or potential for an active role here. Like we're not talking about like Kirsten Dunst MJ, who was like an actress and that was her big thing, right? Like this MJ is very she's going academically. Right, right, right. She's very science like, oriented. Like Sandman was never cured in Toby's universe. And he got away free. Like, Toby could have fixed him, but clearly never had a solution. I like that Toby got to fix Green Goblin, but, I don't know, let MJ in there and be like, why did, why wouldn't you have tried this? And then be like, oh, I didn't think about that. You know? Yeah, yeah, they could have given her at least one or two extra moments there. Right, instead she's just, like, babysitting the cube for most of the movie. And like, she doesn't even get to, like get involved in the fight she's just there to talk to ned to be like all right you need to close the portal like that's yeah. her only role let's talk about somebody who we've kind of talked about just kind of in the supplemental sense but like i i feel like obviously carried this movie but tom holland's peter parker like i feel like this movie if if any of the last like i haven't had any big issues with the character but i know people have had their gripes here and there um but by the end of this movie we see um tom holland's peter alone essentially like he he's in that like square one that toby and and andrew spider-man find themselves in almost by the end of both of their franchises right because we get like an ominous kind of feeling at spider-man 3 and then amazing spider-man 2 obviously he's 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 gwenless um (laughs) but he there's a couple cool quick cool things that i i liked as a takeaway from this ending um we're putting peter back to the basics right like no more high-tech suits here he's wearing the classic um red and blue suit which by the way i would have appreciated if they would have like shown us the suit a little bit more um i like that i like that he's kind of like working with the basics now so he we have that like working class hero kind of vibes that we that we know from the classic comics uh so i like where they've set him up as a character like from a comic book fan's perspective obviously from like me as an audience goer as like having been emotionally invested in this character i felt really sad 
about everything that went on, but it exemplifies that ultimate characteristic of Spider-Man in general, that like he's willing to sacrifice it all for the greater good of everybody else before himself. Yeah, it's uh, I, a couple things to touch on what you brought up. So the having like the more traditional suit at the end, I do really like that. Yes, we could have seen it a little bit clearer, but um, actually, if you notice, I'm sure you did, and we just haven't talked about it, but when he's on the bridge fight, he has no access to any of the Stark servers or anything like that. So he's kind of like, he's wearing, yes, like he has the brand new car, but it has an old engine in it kind of a thing. Like he's on his own through all this movie. And towards the end is when you see like, okay, now he's, he's the, the engine matches the car kind of a thing, right? Like it's just a hand sewn suit. It's just him again. And I and like that, that he maybe took inspiration from Toby and Andrew's suits on the on that classic red and blue suit. I'm assuming. Yeah, like he saw that, like, kind of combined to both, right? Like, he saw that he can have like his web shooters be the tech thing that he understands how to build, but it can just be like a normal suit. Like, it's more about the person inside it, inside of it. Um, but the second thing that you said, like, how his this ending kind of like picks up on the other ones or kind of like starts to align there to me, this is more like that Toby's second movie and on right. Like now he's in his own apartment. So that's why I said at the, in the spoiler free section, like I'm okay if this ends here because you can kind of just assume that he's going to have a similar life that Toby had fighting villains, listening to the, the cop radars and like just having those challenges in life. Putting dirt in people's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a Venom setup, yeah. Yeah, making Little Goblin Jr. cry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel like if we didn't see, like if we got to see more, I would love it, right? But if we didn't, if we don't get another trilogy or another solo movie, I'm okay with living in the assumption of like, okay, he just kind of has like a daily routine of like fighting crime and tossing trying to like build a relationship with mj and ned again yeah which it felt like he let them go at the end there um yeah it's more like a 50 first dates to me where it's like you gotta earn their love again where he was gonna he was thinking about like taking the shortcut route of being like we used to know each other but like there's no way to explain that right so instead he just has to like earn their friendship and earn their love again um, so I was, I was surprised that he ended up in New York City, though. I thought he was going to move to Boston. Well, if you see closely, <laughs> um, he's still taking his uh, his GED courses. Right. But you can get that in Boston, couldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's more affordable, affordable in New York. I don't know. Um, probably not. <laughs> probably not. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 well, here's the thing, too. Like, I feel like. For me, anyway, um, this bit setup that they have going on here, I agree. Like, if this ended up here and, like, we have nothing else to kind of count on for more content, I'm fine with it ending here. I, f- I feel like this is the perfect ending for him. Um, at the same time, it builds you, it builds him up to be in this place where there's almost, like, endless opportunity. I didn't realize this until the fourth showing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, give, end, us, give it the fourth take of it. 
he did seem very committed to like delivering that um li- those lines that he wrote out to introduce himself to MJ until he realizes the band-aid on her forehead. And to me, I kind of read it to mean like, oh well, you know, he she got hurt because of him. But if she if he were to spare her this revelation that he's about to <laughs> go through with her, then then it would kind of put her out of harm's way. And I don't think that that's going to be like the permanent thing. I feel like at some point they will reunite and maybe she'll remember. Maybe, I don't know. But I feel like we're probably taking a step back from the Ned and MJ character here and probably using this time to introduce some of those other classic supporting characters uh, from the comics, especially if he is going to college. Like, I wonder if we'll, we'll get this universe's Gwen Stacy. I wonder if we'll get a Harry Osborn <laughs> in this universe. Um, I don't know. It kind of, like, you, you get what I mean? Like, it feels like the perfect finale for this cast of characters and at the same time sets up spider-man for like a brand new cast of people but who knows that's just me kind of yeah there's there's no answer to the intentions behind it because it hasn't been confirmed by like the producers or actors or anything like that so it's all just how you read it i do see what you're saying and i i guess i could see it that way just the and I've only seen it half the times with you. <laughs> um, but to me, it was more like, how do you convince somebody that uh, that you're you had a life with them that you, you guys shared love or something like that? There's no line that you could say, like even as perfectly written out as if he had. Uh, and I think that was like a callback to him not prepping for the MIT thing, um, that MIT request. That he was like, okay, I have to go into this prepped. But then once he got there in front of her, he realized like, no, it's going to take more work than this. Um, but you could be you could be right where it's he sees the cut on her forehead because that is the moment where it kind of is like, okay, I'm not going to deliver the speech. And maybe he just sees the cut and goes like, well, maybe she has memories with Spider-Man that are not good. And that saying, hey, I'm Spider-Man won't be a good thing. Right. And I, I hope I do hope they bring them back in together and like we can, re- you know, they pick up the pieces again. But well, that goodbye I, was like way too powerful to be like, mm, you know what? I'm not going to try and win your love back or anything like that. Right. It, to me, though, like it, this is a perfect opportunity to kind of move on a little bit before. Oh, coming for sure. Back. Yeah. Let them move to Boston. He stays in New York and just finds a Gwen, finds a whoever maybe bring in black cat or one of his other adversaries that he falls in love with <laughs> still waiting on that miles morales i heard he's coming <laughs> <laughs> I, I i did i was um you know i don't know I, I ultimately though like i feel like anybody who's had any issues with this iteration of spider-man by the end of this movie if those issues aren't solved i don't know what's wrong with you <laughs> you know like <laughs> like I, I i don't like to me Tom kind of solidified himself this with this movie as the definitive Spider-Man. Um, just because, like you said, he, 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 we have the perfect balance of experience and also like ingenuity with his version. Um, and it's like the perfect version of Spider-Man to live in this MCU world, right? So, uh, and and also like we're just seeing the beginning of the MCU using the multiverse. So I wonder where we go from here. And I certainly would love for you know spider-man to continue that journey uh but this movie besides closing things out pretty nicely for me 
it gives me that finality that are, that I'm satisfied with, but also gets me hyped for what the potential possibilities are for the future. Uh, yeah, and I didn't think I would have that to be honest. I agree, but there is like one thing I would say that like the after my first viewing, I was like, this ended perfectly for if they can't get another Spider-Man movie, but this ended really poorly if they wanted to do like have the best health for Phase Four, like. If you had ended this with the world splitting apart and Doctor Strange being like, I can't fix this and like kind of cut it there, then you build up so much more hype for Doctor Strange's independent movie. And I think that would have been better health for MCU like and for phase four. Because um, I think fans are kind of like, well, I was with the OG heroes and I just wanted to see them close out Tom and I might be on my way out now. That would be like, okay, well, now I'm intrigued again. Like, that brings me back into it. So that's the only thing I thought, like, it ended perfectly for Tom, but it could have ended perfectly for for Doctor Strange. Yeah, you're right about... Yeah, I, I, I guess I didn't really think about that all that much. Yeah, for, from an MCU standpoint, this movie served us up the, the multiverse and in our introduction to it, but definitely didn't, like put anything else in place to be like oh look forward to this or that yeah you're right i don't i don't, I don't know i feel like one thing I, th- I have heard people say is that they feel like this movie makes the case for sony taking the character away from the mcu i feel like it does the opposite <laughs> to be honest um i think there's it's, no i think it does make that case but go ahead i disagree for two things um and and again, this is another thing that I didn't notice until the end of uh, of all this. But Spider-Man, the, the these these three movies have followed a thread that I didn't really see all that much until you know I was having this discussion with my friends just over the weekend. But um, Kevin Feige is a huge comic fan, right? He 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 loves those throwbacks to the original characters, uh, the original character. Um, Sorry, the original storylines from these comics. This follows that original Amazing Spider-Man comic book run pretty closely um, in terms of like the overall like stories and messaging and where Peter ends up, right? Uh, but the ending of this movie sets him up for what in the comics we people know as a, a, I want to say it's like the Golden Age or so. Um, but it's the period of time where we get introduced to Venom where we get introduced to um, Spider-Man's amazing friends, as they call it, the that little, like, 60s cartoon that they made. Um, it's It sets him up for a couple different things, and it also sets up one thing that I missed a couple times, but I, I did hear it. But the last showing that I went to had subtitles, <laughs> uh, or closed captions, whatever you call them. What? Why? <laughs> um, because I wanted, to, I wanted to see if, if it was true, but at the end of the of the scene when he's like looking at that application on his phone and it's like describing a, an ongoing crime. Um, it points to Fisk tower being um, one of the, uh, like some, port- so something's happening in Fisk tower, which uh, ties in the whole Wilson Fisk thing. And again, I I'm, I'm assuming Marvel kind of set this up this way because in, in the same week we got the introduction of Kingpin. We get, um, Charlie Cox playing Matt Murdock or Daredevil in No Way Home as Peter's lawyer, which, by the way, we didn't touch on at all. But <laughs> that moment got a huge reaction at yeah, a same. video before uh, yep. 
which you know justifiably so that that netflix show is amazing and i feel like you know if, if you haven't if you haven't seen it i'd give i'd give it a a try because honestly that's that's some of the best content marvel's produced anywhere yeah i walked out of the theater being like okay i get i think i want to try that out because i mean they're willing to put it into a big movie like this i know they're not doing it for like no reason and I've, I mean, you recommended it. So many other people have recommended it. But I just have a feeling like, how many people actually watched it? Like, everybody in my crowd went crazy. I'm like, there's no way I'm the only person in here that like <laughs> doesn't care that that character's in here. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I know it was the most popular Netflix show for a while until The Witcher came out. But it, it, I, look, trust me. Just if you watch just season one alone, gives you a high appreciation of that. Like you don't have to watch any of the rest of the of the Defender stuff on Netflix because I feel like most of it isn't all that good. Uh, but the Daredevil stuff, season one, two, and three is amazing. Vincent D'Onofrio sells his performance as Kingpin there, which you know. He, speaking of Vincent D'Onofrio, we just got his introduction to the MCU the same week, also in Hawkeye, which we will get to at some point. <laughs> um. I don't think there was a strong abuse of Vincent D'Onofrio in the in the series, to be honest with you. But like we have him there, and there's so many little like Easter eggs and elements that I'm like, I don't think they're deliberately just teasing us this and not going to follow up with some of these threads. Like Kingpin is a Spider-Man villain before he's a Daredevil villain. Um, Daredevil is a big ally of Spider-Man, um, and so to me, like it, you're setting up the the period of time where Spider-Man in the comics had a lot of these crossovers um not that we're like very integral but like the, some of the more like iconic storylines like spider-man versus the kingpin spider-man introducing the fantastic four that kind of thing so i feel like this but all that can be done by bit. sony can it like it doesn't no. have to be done by mcu no it has to be done with the mcu because sony doesn't have the the um the rights to those characters well, then it doesn't have to be done by either of them. Like, they could just end at a stalemate. <laughs> so, like... No, yeah, true. But I, if if everything behind the scenes is to be believed, I, I don't think that either of them want to walk away from this deal at the moment. Because otherwise, why would they even allow this extensive... Ca- these, like, amount of cameos to, to happen? Well, I don't know about behind the scenes, but I do know about being behind the fourth wall. <laughs> but we have gone on way too long and there's still so much more that like we haven't talked about like jay jonas jameson flash we barely got to talk about um daredevil here at the end uh this may you know warrant a second discussion in the future but i think we should just end it off with uh you know we we did talk about like the crowd reactions uh and how nice it was to have that again um i think the only other thing maybe to mention is just like how does this fit into our total MCU movie rankings? Did it change yours at all? It did, but more in a way of like, I just revisited some of my stuff. Like I kind of shook up the top tiers a little bit, trying to remove some of the like nostalgia points that I had awarded movies. Um, I also want to try and remove recency bias, but I mean, my rankings probably always say differently because I have two of this year's movies in the top five. <laughs> but I'm putting this at three. I have Far From Home still as number one just because I love the dynamic between, you know, one hero, one villain. It worked off so well. I put Ragnarok above at number two, uh, right above No Way Home. And I mean, again, this is 
nitpicky stuff here. I'm not saying like these are leaps and bounds above each other, but the, that's just like my ranking right now. Then I have No Way Home at three. I put Shang Chi at four, and then I have Black Panther at five. Yeah, we, you and I have similar uh, rankings here, minus one movie each. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I, I said this before the pod, but like I, I took some time. I wanted to watch this a couple times before I could say like definitively I can rank it. Um, but honestly, for me, No Way Home takes the top spot for me in my top five. Followed closely by Far From Home. Then Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Black Panther, and Shang-Chi. Yeah, and you know what's crazy is like, I we basically have the same five here. You you sub in uh, Winter Soldier where I had Ragnarok um, or just off of each other there. But it's crazy that, you know, these two have been in top five. And then I'm pretty sure we both put Homecoming like towards the end of our top ten. So like, that's pretty wild that like without a doubt this is the strongest trilogy of the mcu it is and i but i also have to say this has been the most steady trilogy besides the captain america stuff and what There's i mean not by a that, weak point yeah yeah well it's also like they've had the same director which is john watts right like john watts directed homecoming he directed far from home he directed no way home and you know for him to deliver a good movie with homecoming great right maybe he got lucky with far from home okay two maybe he, he's getting extensively luckier but with three there's no doubt like this guy can handle an ensemble cast really well um and while i'm happy that he's moving on to direct fantastic four and i'm excited to see him direct an ensemble cast there i'm also kind of you know whoever they get to do the next trilogy if if you know if the rumors are to be believed here i hope it's somebody with the same level of consistency you know like because that's what we got like put these three movies together with one night's worth of like a binge and you got yourself a solid you know what six yeah. hours <laughs> at that point yeah that this is a great trilogy day type type of uh type of movies yeah they're great and i i don't know i'm i'm, I'm looking forward to what we get next uh but if it ends here like i'm 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 cool this has been a really really great ride uh, for Spider-Man in in the way that I didn't think we'd ever see him. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. I'm satisfied if this is the last solo. I'm thrilled if we get more. Uh, and I would love to see him like as a supporting cast in some other movies, whether that's a big role or minor role. Um, the what Tom's done for the for the MCU has been huge, and yeah, I, I really really like it. Before we sign off. I want to get just a couple minutes quickly. Um, <laughs> what did you think of the after the credit stuff? Oh, yeah. Um, the Venom one, I get sending him back. I don't get how a drip stayed. Uh, I thought it was funny. I'm not upset about it. I thought it was funny that they like set it up in Venom's movie just to kind of build up more hype for this. So I don't care that they immediately undid it. It's kind of more of like a troll I think they did the same thing in Homecoming where, like, you stayed for the whole credits and then it was just Captain America telling you, like, eh, sometimes waiting isn't always the best thing. Like, that was funny. <laughs> what did you think about that one before we talk about the second one? I, I, I'm i of the same mindset. I didn't mind it. I, I still don't know why a drip of it stayed other than, like, of course, we're going, you know, we're going to get Venom in the MCU in some capacity. We're going to get the Black Suit storyline. Fantastic. Um, I kind of do 
have the issue that I was hoping we would see Tom Hardy be the Eddie Brock of this universe. Uh, you know, like, I don't know. I have some mixed feelings on that point. I'm not upset over it. It's just Tom Hardy's so good as, as Eddie Brock that I wish we could have just kind of had him meet Tom Holland Spider-Man. Yeah, I would have liked it too, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible to happen again. It just is unlikely. But the, I guess the thing that I'm confused on is like, why did he even get pulled in? Because he never, the logic was people were slipping through the cracks because they knew Peter Parker was Spider-Man. So why is this guy here? <laughs> like, why did well, he make it through on the first place? Clearly, that's not like the most steady logic there, too, right? Because like Jamie Foxx's Electro never found out Peter was Spider-Man. Right. So, so there were there were some flaws here, for sure. Yeah. We could pick that stuff though. That's the thing. Like I, I mentioned, that had plot flaws. There's, there's a couple, but it's just like it's not really worth nitpicking at it. Because honestly, I think overall the experience was great as it was. You could always just say that Doctor Strange was generalizing there and didn't really get into specifics. But yeah, right. Yeah. It's not worth nitpicking, but it's worth making it the number one movie. All right, Ivan. <laughs> <laughs> not to that level. I mean, like we can we can pick at the obvious problems here, but um, no. All right. So then the. The second one was pretty much like a trailer for Doctor Strange Two. and the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. I was not expecting that. I wasn't either. I'm, like, I'm not upset over it. It's just I feel like it's a strange use of after the credits space. I don't. Yeah, I don't want a trailer there. I want Doctor Strange yeah. like getting yelled at by Wong and then being like, OK, now I need <laughs> to figure out more like that's the teaser. It's not like showing me everything about the next movie. Right. Or I don't know, like something that kind of tees up the next film. Like I, I did feel it was really odd that we got a trailer. Again, if, you not... wanna, if you want to boost your views, like release that trailer, like on Sunday after the, after this movie, like that's going to keep your, your topic trending. Yeah. And you know what would have been killer? I would have killed to see like a Ryan Reynolds Deadpool cameo here. Now that we know that he is, you know, his movies in the works, like it would have been cool to at least have some sort of Deadpool Spider-Man crossover kind of thing happening here. Mm. But there's uh, there's so much more to talk about on this, but we have been going for such a long time that we definitely should end it here. Yeah, we should. <laughs> um. So yeah, stay tuned. We might end up doing more on this. But um, we both give it, you know, two thumbs up on this one. Yes, I give it four and a half web shooters out of five. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well, on that, uh, thanks for listening.